modern day Davids that uh, really spawned when I was away. We finished the series in the life of Gideon and we gleaned a lot of spiritual truth from his life. And we discovered that Gideon didn't have a good ending. He had a great beginning, but he didn't have a great ending. And we learned that Gideon was not able to succeed in success. A lot of people fail and miss out when God blesses them and promotes them. It seems paradoxical, but it is true. And he became haughty and proud. How many people become proud and haughty when God blesses them? You think, well, how can that be? Oh, it happens over and over again. And Gideon was not even remembered when he died. In fact, in Judges chapter 9, verse 33 and 34, when Gideon died, the people of Israel turned their backs on God and didn't even remember him, nor did they show kindness to his family. Whatever Gideon did didn't last, wasn't remembered, little fruit, because Gideon didn't finish well created an ephod out of gold and it became a snare to the people of Israel as they began to worship him in his own house and he treated his enemies violently became proud and arrogant when he started so well with brokenness and humility how many people start well but don't finish well and so as we concluded our series in Gideon I thought of a, another leader a king. Gideon said didn't want to be a king, but in his heart he wanted to be a king. He even called his son Absalom, which means son of a king. Not Absalom, yeah, Abimelech, excuse me. But we have a king who didn't want to become a king. And I was thinking about David. And this new series came about as we're going to look at how David succeeded in success. We're going to look at the contrasts on how to be modern day Davids. Now no one's a king in this room. We might have a few leaders here. But this isn't a message for kings. This is a message how you and I can live every day as modern day Davids. And there's many things that David did, especially early in his life, that sets him apart. The very antithesis and opposite of how Gideon lived. And so we want to continue in this brief mini-series on how to be modern-day Davids. I've entitled this message, When Your Foe Becomes Your Friend. Gideon failed in two areas. He failed when God promoted him, but he also failed in how to treat his enemies. God gives specific direction on how to deal with people who are your enemies Jesus says that we are to bless those that curse us. And here's where David shone so brightly and continues to shine. My text is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 to 10, and verses 16 to 22. And so let's look at this text. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, behold, David is in the wilderness, notice the word wilderness of Engeti, 
Boy, what a place that is. We visited En Gedi when we went to Israel the first time here at Logos. And boy, we had a tremendous time and we learned so much. And the Lord willing, we'll go back to visit that place. En Gedi was a place of wilderness. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel. Now why would you take 3,000 men to fight one man? Isn't that interesting? And went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. The wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats, by the way. There was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. There are a lot of caves in En Gedi. And you can see that. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. And David arose, and he cut off the skirt or the hem of Saul's robe privately. Privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him. He felt convicted. Because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. But David, hold on. Saul wants to kill you. What do you mean your master? The Lord's anointed? He's, he's the Lord's anointed? To stretch forth thine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants or stopped his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But David, he's your enemy. Why wouldn't you? But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And David arose afterwards and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, my King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped. He bowed his face to the earth. What humility. And bowed himself before a man that wants to kill him. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Saul, why are you hearing these rumors that I want to hurt you, that I want to kill you? That's not true. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into my hand in the cave, and in some bade me to kill thee, but my eye spared thee, and I said, I will not, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. 22, 16 to 22, and it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And when thou showed this day how that thou dwellst well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy will let him go, go well away. Wherefore, the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. 
Now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. When your foe becomes your enemy, we have one of the greatest stories in the Bible of how to treat people that may not like you very much. The story of how modern Davids live in a world filled with Saul's. We learned last week that David did the very opposite of Gideon. He learned how to succeed in success and how to deal with his enemies. Gideon became proud and arrogant in success. And Gideon went back and slaughtered Salumi and Selmi and ripped them apart and took vengeance because they wouldn't give him bread. David does the very opposite. Bit of a backdrop to our story this morning. We learned in 1 Samuel 17, there's a great battle between a champion called Goliath, an enemy of Israel, and nobody wanted to fight Goliath. They were too scared. Saul should have fought Goliath. In fact, he was the tallest man in Israel. The biggest, possibly, strongest. Didn't want to fight Goliath. And so what happens? The upside down kingdom of our God, the, the smallest and perhaps the less qualified went to fight Goliath. Isn't it interesting that God is glorified with those that are not qualified more than those that are qualified? David defeats Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and immediately David's fame spreads. Nobody heard of David. He was a shepherd boy sweeping up and cleaning manure from the field, rejected by his father. And he could have made excuses as we normally do to justify things that we don't want to do. And we say, well, you know, in my youth, or I wasn't able to, my father didn't love me. And, but David didn't make those excuses. And this great victory in defeating Goliath, David's fame spread like wildfire. And we learned last week that because of success in defeating Goliath, David has all these new opportunities. We learned last week that he had a new family. Saul now adopts him into his family. He had new fame. His fame spread. The women of Israel sang the praises of David. David kills his 10,000. He gets a new friend in Jonathan, the son of, of, of Saul. But he also has a new foe. New friend, new foe, new family, new fame. But a new foe arises through his success. A lot of times you'll have enemies because of your success. Some people might be jealous of your success. Some people might be intimidated because of your success. And sometimes you can be your worst enemy in success. And David has a new foe, and he's out to destroy him, and David has done absolutely nothing 
but he succeeds in success. Seems kind of strange. He seeds in success in two ways. He seeds in success because he didn't allow his success to change him. A lot of times success will change you. A lot of times success will cause you to do things and you might one day look at a situation and you say, I did it before, I can do it again. And you become your own director and guide and you think that somehow by your own giftings and your own ability that you're able to do things and, 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 and things begin to change because God's promoted you and that's what happened to Gideon. He, he, he got a little crazy. He got a little self-contained and we learned this about King Uzziah and King Asa. The same thing happened to them but success didn't change David. It changes most people. Didn't change David but I'll give you another C. David also in success gave credit to God, not himself. Oh, it seemed like Gideon gave credit to God, but his life proved otherwise. He wanted the gold that, want, that were, were, were meant for kings. He wanted it for himself. He was disingenuous. Build idols in his home. Began to worship idols and his eyes got off God thought that he was something special and he took upon the apron of priesthood and so Gideon became a priest and a king at the same time just like Uzziah did and he died as a leper got to his head Gideon said I can do anything now I'm a king I'm a priest I'm a prophet his success changed him didn't truly give credit to God but David gives credit to God and so we continue this morning in our series David's on the run we fast forward from chapter 18 last week to chapter 24 and 23 we noticed that David's on the run because he's got a new foe Saul is his foe and he's Saul is just not not an average man Saul's the king of Israel this is King Saul he's out to throw another javelin at David to kill him. What does David have? He's a young man. But by this time, he's gained, gained a gathering. By this time, David is growing up a little bit. He's been on the run. Isn't it interesting that David is the anointed king of Israel and he's on the run? History tells us for 14 long, miserable years, David was running from Saul. Wilderness from cave to cave, he's on the run. His life was being threatened, and the Bible says that Saul was after him continually. And last week we talked about people can deal with their trials. You know, it's easy to deal with a trial that might be a few days, a few weeks, but it's another, another scenario when this trial is going on and on and on and there seems to be no freedom there seems to be no breakage in the clouds there seems to be this great big dark ominous cloud over David's life day after day you know people say tell you that in, in Vancouver you know they'll tell you that people get depressed easily because in Vancouver there's not much sunlight and if there is it doesn't last that long it's usually cloudy and rainy I've been to Vancouver I've been to British Columbia and that's true 
And some people get depressed if there's too many clouds and it rains a lot. You get into a state of depression, some people, because you don't see the sun. You're, you're, you're living in this, this cloudy atmosphere and it brings you down. Can you imagine living 14 years under this cloud? David's on the run. And in 1 Samuel 23, verse 27, the Bible says that Saul is still in pursuit of David. And at this time, we just read that the Philistines are coming against Saul. And Saul has to go back to the palace to regroup and get his men ready to fight against the Philistines. The Philistines, still the enemy of Saul, despite the fact that Goliath came down. So Saul has to leave pursuing David who's not his enemy, to fight the real enemy. But the truth is, the real enemy are not even the Philistines. The real enemy is Saul himself. How many know that you can fight a battle, and you might think that that person's your enemy, that she's your enemy, that that situation's your enemy. Oh, if he would have done this, and look what he did. The truth of the matter, friends, is that he's not your enemy. She's a, the most of, when you look deep within, you find out that you're your own worst enemy. Philistines are attacking. Saul has to go back to the palace to regroup against him. And in doing that, he leaves David the number one fugitive. David becomes, uh, he's on the ten most wanted of Israel. David, David. And he flees to En Gedi in the wilderness. And, and, and if there is anyone that could have been angry, it was David. Saul's angry at David for no reason. His jealousy has caused him to be angry. Jealousy will cause you to do things. And nine times, you know what? Ten times out of ten, jealousy will always act in a way that certainly darkens your testimony and becomes an issue when it comes to living lives that please God. You can never please God if you're living a life of jealousy. Because jealousy will propel you to do things that are absolutely horrific. David is the one that should have been angry, not Saul. What did David do to Saul? I entitled my message last week, Why Am I So Angry? So why are you so angry? You should be rejoicing that David helped you kill Goliath. You should have fought. You should be rejoicing that someone is so loyal who's by your side. But jealousy blinds you. Jealousy thinks that everybody's against you. Jealousy will cause you to think things that aren't true. Jealousy will cause you to believe things about somebody that are not true. Jealousy will cause you to accuse and to point fingers. No, David is the one that should be angry, but he's not angry. David was the anointed one that Samuel anointed. It was David who defeated Goliath. It was David that Israel sang about. It was David, David, David. David was a man after God's heart, but it is David who's running from Saul. Look at the paradox. This is the anointed man of Israel. Here's the paradox. Saul goes back to the palace... David is still running and he's in the pit. Saul goes back to the castle. David goes to the cave. 
Interesting. He's in the wilderness. After his anointing. He's in the wilderness after his great victory over Goliath. Isn't that interesting? You know, you can have a great victory and still end up in the wilderness. So David ends up in, in Gedi, in a remote desert, while Saul's in the palace. The desert, verse 2 tells us, this place in Gedi is a place of goats. Place of goats. There are a lot of goats in Israel, Ibex. And they can, man, I tell you, they're amazing creatures, how they mount up these, these mountains, and there's hardly any leverage. I just, they, they defy gravity, these beasts. They defy, they're able to climb up these places and there's, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible how they're able to climb up without falling down. And there they are in Gedi, place of goats. And there he is in the wilderness. And I preached a sermon a few months ago. I called it God's University, the desert. You know what? It's true. When you're in a desert, you're in God's university. That's where you learn things. That's where God teaches you. That's where God develops you. It's never in the oasis. It's never in the lush valleys. It's always in the desert, God's university. And many times when you graduate from college or elementary school, you end up in another desert another place of learning because God teaches us when we're in the desert he taught Moses for 40 years in his university the desert in fact the Bible says that Moses was in the backside of the desert the darkest place of the desert the most remote place of the desert the, the place where it was the driest where there was hardly any water, hardly rained, the backside, God does his best work in the desert. And there was most, Jacob came to know God in the desert. When he was running away from, from his brother Esau, he ends up in Peniel. And there, in that remote place, God brought Jacob into his destiny. It's always in the desert. And a desert is not defined necessarily by sand and parchness and extreme heat. A desert could be in the belly of a fish. A desert could be uh, in a state of sickness. A desert could be when you lost your job. A desert does not necessarily speak of a geographical area. A desert is some form of trial. David is in a physical desert depicting an internal trial that he's experiencing. But Saul is relentless. He's on the attack once again. He, he, he finishes dealing with the Philistines and the Bible says back. He hates David. He's so jealous. See, jealousy is persistent. It doesn't stop. It just keeps going and going and going. And it reminds me of the devil. Saul is a picture of the devil. The Bible says that the devil seeks whom he made. He's a roaring, lying, seeking. That's written in the present participle. The devil is constantly seeking whom he may devour. The devil is relentless. Saul is relentless. 
And here is David, one man with 600 men, saw the king coming with 3,000 men. His hatred blinded him. His jealousy of David has deceived him. The odds are all against David, as they were with Gideon. Remember, Gideon had 300 men against 135,000. God does his best work when the odds are against you. God does his best work in the atmosphere of confusion and decay. The truth is, my friends, that David has done absolutely nothing to merit this. It was Saul strictly, his insecurities. A lot of times jealousy is born through insecurity. Jealousy is born out of insecurity when someone does something better than you. Jealousy is born out of insecurity if somebody has done something greater than you. And if you're not secure in who you are, you can be sure you too can be jealous. That's why it's so important that you know who you are in Christ that's why it's so important that you know your position and what God's called you to do and who you are. And that's why Paul says, never compare yourself among yourselves. Because if you do that, you can be jealous if you're not careful. Jealousy is an ugly disease. It's one of the worst diseases. I'll tell you something, jealousy will kill you. It will destroy you. It is worse than cancer. Many ministries have fallen because of jealousy. Now, I want to look at three principles in David's life where I believe he shines so brightly. Remember, we're looking at modern day Davids that apply to all of us today. In 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter, Saul says something about David. He says, he saw something in him. 1 Samuel 18, 28 and 29 tells us that when Saul saw David, he, he saw something in him that was different. Saul was able to see something in David. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Saul saw something. I asked, what do people see in you? That's different. Well, I'm not talking about the color of your hair. I'm not talking about how much muscle you have. I'm not talking about how well you dress. I'm not, talk I'm not talking about what they see physically. What do people see in you that makes you different? See, it wasn't David's clothes that Saul noticed or his hairdo. It wasn't, it wasn't David's uh, uh, cologne that he wore or his, his you know, slingshot. Oh, that's, oh, that, that must come from, from Hermes. Or, or that must be a Gucci slingshot. No, 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 no. That, 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 that's not what, what Saul saw. Saul some, something in David's life. His character, his disposition. There was something that he saw. That you can't buy. You can't earn it.
modern day Davids have something that people see. It's not necessarily your education. It's not necessarily how smart you are. Now you can't help what people do, and here's what I want to focus in on. You can't help what people do or say about you, but you can help how you respond or react to them. So people are going to say a lot of things about you and me. You can't help that. It's going to happen. Brothers and sisters, we've got to wake up to the reality that if you're in leadership, and if you're not even in leadership, no matter who you are, you're going to have people say something about you, and many times you may not even like it. Can I say that maybe most of the time? Especially if jealousy is around the corner. How you respond to that is what makes you great. It's what causes you to shine. So it's not, here's my R, it's not the fact of the action, it's the reaction. That's always the key. How do you react? How do you respond? Let me give you some principles that begin with R. First of all, number one, verses one to eight, David refused revenge. Verses one to four of our text. David had an opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't. The Bible says he went to cover his feet, which means Saul wanted to go to the bathroom. And so, there's no toilet. So he said, well, I gotta go back to the palace. Can't do that. Many miles away, take too long. I gotta relieve myself now. When nature calls, nature calls. So Saul goes into the cave, any random cave. He didn't pick whatever was close to him. And there was David. Imagine that. There's no coincidences with God. Nothing just happens. This was all directed. God arranged it. God arranged And there he was. He didn't even know it. Saul ends up in this cave. There was David. David now, says the enemy. David now, says the flesh, has a chance to get even with Saul. Oh, there's my enemy. He's, he doesn't even know I'm here. Here's my chance to kill him. Wouldn't anybody do that? Wouldn't, wouldn't common sense tell you to do that? Here's my opportunity to get even, to get back. Ah, my friends, or, 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 or is God testing his character? Is this an opportunity to get even? Or is this an opportunity to reveal who you really are, David? See, this is the problem when trials come. Most of us look at it as a horrible thing. The devil's after me. And many times it could be true. But many times, I would say most of the time, God is testing your character and trying to develop you. And you're developed through pain. You grow through adversity. So it's not always the devil. It's not always the devil. Many times, can I say it, Mr. Prosperity Preacher, wherever you are, can I say it? 
that many times God allows and has ordained that trial in your life, even as the Bible says, if it's famine, even if it's serpents coming to afflict. That's what the Bible says. God, the Bible says in Numbers, sent serpents to afflict Israel. Wow. Wow. And so, is this an opportunity for me to get even, or is this God testing character or developing character? You see, my friends, character will be tested in two areas. I usually give you principles that begin. Let me give you a principle that ends with T-I-O-N. In opposition or in promotion. Your character will be tested in opposition or promotion. How am I going to respond now that God's promoted me? Is a test of character. How am I going to respond now when you're against me? Test of character. Gideon failed in this. What's David going to do? David could have been saying, God has delivered me right before you, and he's delivered me, Saul, into my hands now. Look what, do you know the possibility of Saul being in that place at that, at that time? Where David, do you know, the odds are astronomical for David to be there exactly where Saul is. That's, it's, it's, it's astronomical. I've, I've had uh, uh, scholars try to figure out the odds for that. They, they, they can't come up with numbers. It's so remote. You can't even, you know, how, how possibly could this happen? But there it is. It's exactly what happened. And so David could be saying, these odds are so absolutely incredibly impossible. This is impossible. This must be God. God must be bringing Saul into my hands so I can kill him, so I can get rid of this enemy. This must be God. Would you say that? Verse 4, but David refuses to take revenge even when his counselors, verse 4, his counselors told him, look, the men of David said to him, behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, behold, I will deliver thine enemy to thy hand, thou mayest do to him as it shall be good unto David, here's your opportunity. These are his advisors. These are on the board. These are his board members telling him, David, God has brought you in this place at this time. Saul now is in your hands. You can deal with him. Get rid of him. Get rid of this threat and this constant persecution. Here's your opportunity. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2. These counselors, who are they? Who are they? Who are they? You know, counselors, listen always seem to use God's name as a stamp of approval. God has brought your enemy into your hand. They use the God card. And you know, God told me. And God said to me. And you know, God said you must. Always using the God card. How do you go, how do you go against the God card? And these so-called prophets of our day today. All they, oh, God has said. How do you know God has said? Every false prophet always says, God has said. It's always God who says. 
They use this God card as a stamp of approval. You better listen, David, because God has probably... Who are these counselors? Who are these counselors? Well, these were all those who were in distress and discontent with Saul to begin with. That's how David had 600 men. David had 600 men with him because they all had problems with Saul and they joined up with David. You see, sometimes, my friends, your advisors might have it out for a person that you're in trouble with. They might have their own personal agenda. You see, if Saul dies, then David is made king right away, and certainly these counselors will be promoted. Sometimes people will give you counsel for their own purposes and their own agenda. Is that not true? Of course. What greater example of this then in 2 Samuel chapter 20, we discover an incredible story. David had a son by the name of what? Absalom, correct? When did David sin against Bathsheba? What was David doing? He was on the roof. He should have been out to war. And he notices a woman by the name of Bathsheba, correct? Are we all with me? David is not busy doing the things that he should be doing. He sees a woman... David being a man and not spiritual at this time in his life. Remember David was fluctuating up and down. He sees this woman and begins to lust after her. And the Bible tells us that David wanted her badly. And we know the story. He ends up doing all kinds of atrocities. It even kills his hus her husband. Ends up having sex with her. Gets her pregnant. We all know the story. Horrible things happen to David and Bathsheba. Who is Bathsheba? Bathsheba's grandfather, stay with me, Bathsheba's grandfather, Ahithophel, Ahithophel was one of Absalom's counselor. Absalom was the son of David, but Absalom had problems with David. You remember Absalom wanted to usurp David and wanted to be king and wanted his father out. And so Ahithophel, one of uh, uh, Absalom's counselors who is the grandfather of Bathsheba gives advice to Absalom he's giving advice why don't you do what your father did to my granddaughter go and have relations with his concubines go do exactly what what David did and Ahithophel gave counsel to Absalom to do what David did to his daughter and I don't have time to expand on that. My point is that Ahithophel had an agenda. He hated David for what David did to his granddaughter. And he gave counsel for Absalom to do the same thing. Was his counsel out of a pure heart? No. His counsel was out of an evil, vindictive agenda. Sometimes people will counsel you to do something, but they don't have your best interest. They have their own interests. And this applies a lot to leaders. If I can tell you some people what counsel they've given me in the past, you'd only understand that when you'll understand that they had an agenda. David's men had an agenda against Saul. Justifiably so. Just like David could have killed Saul. Justifiably so. But we're talking about modern day Davids. We're talking about what can set you apart. We're talking about what Jesus would do.
That's what a modern day David is. And so they said, David, God has given you this opportunity. How many times will people tell you that? You know, God is blamed for so many times, so many things, so many things, so many that God has absolutely nothing to do with. He's blamed for so many things that he has absolutely nothing to do with. These counselors said, hey David, God has brought you to Saul so that you can kill him. That's not true. That wasn't the case. These so-called counselors. Why do you think, brothers and sisters, the Bible says that you are to test the spirits? Why do you think the Bible says don't believe every person, everybody that speaks in the name of the Lord? Why do you think we need to be fruit inspectors. You know, we're called not to judge. Oh, but don't judge. You know what? The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says you will know them by their fruit, that we are to judge fruit. We are to test the fruit. That's what the Bible says. Test the spirits. We're just going to believe everybody. That's the problem with false cults and false teachers. The people who follow them haven't tested the fruit. They just believe anything you want to say. Are you going to believe anything that everybody says? Test the fruit. Not every spirit, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, 1 Timothy 4.1, is of God. In the last days, there'll be much deception, Paul tells us. Jesus said, in the last days, there'll be much deception. If we don't test the fruit now, we, we too can be deceived. Always, does this correspond to what the Bible says? Always test the spirit. When I preach, test the spirit, please. Don't just accept anything I say, or anybody else for that matter. Test the spirit. What does the Bible say? Does this coincide with what the word says? If you would do that, and if people did that, there'd be less cults today. Less cults today by far. In fact, I encourage you, when I finish, or anybody finishes preaching, take your word and go over it. You see, yeah, that's, that, that's good, that's good. No, no, I, wait a minute, does the Bible say that? Don't just believe anything. Everybody. Because you're watching something on television, he sounds good, oh, he must be of God. No! Did not Jesus say in the last day, many shall come in my name saying, Lord, didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I speak? Didn't I do this? I, I don't know who you are. We're living in days, my friends, where there's a lot of people coming, speaking in the name of the Lord, casting out demons, prophesying, but they're not from God. And if you don't learn to test the spirits, you too can be deceived. And I'm only telling you this in love because I care. This is not popular. You don't hear teaching like this. But if you care, and you want people to grow, then you must share the balanced word, and you must have people understand that we are in deceiving times today. A lot of people are being swallowed up in the vortex of confusion and deceit because they don't know the word of God. And they're not testing the spirit. 
And so David refused to take revenge. However, he does something very important. He cuts off a piece of Saul's tunic, his robe. He wanted to demonstrate to Saul that he was a trustworthy friend. But the Bible says in verse 5 that his conscience smote him. He felt convicted. Why was David's conscience bothering him? Because despite who Saul was, he was still the Lord's anointed. And to treat him this way was in David's mind wrong. How different from today. How different from today. We got no respect for people. No respect for leadership. No respect for, we don't have, David had respect for the office of ministry, the office of Saul, because he loved God. Today we don't have respect for anybody, no office, no nothing. David had respect, he had honor. Modern day David's respect, they have honor. Despite who Saul was, he was still the Lord's anointed, David said. And to treat him this way was in David's mind wrong. Wow! What a difference today. See, David was sensitive. And he realized, watch this now, are you ready? That vengeance belongs to God. Did you see that? David understood, I'm not going to fight the Lord's battle because the battle is the Lord's we just signed that earlier I'm not going to execute vengeance against my enemy because that's not my job my job is not to execute vengeance my job is to be a light in this world my job is to do what's right despite the Saul's of this earth. And I'm not going to let Saul change me to be what Saul wants me to be. I'm not going to do that. Vengeance belongs to God. Listen friends, if you're trying to get even, then you're playing into the devil's hand. That's exactly what Gideon did. Gideon went back, executed vengeance, and killed his enemies. Life lesson. Are you ready for life lesson? Greatness is shown by the ability to leave vengeance with God. Life lesson. Greatness is shown and revealed by leaving vengeance to God. Never try to get even. Never. That's what the flesh does. Modern day Davids don't do that. David is allowing his case to be tried in heaven because God is his lawyer. Whose lawyer do you have? God is his advocate. God, 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 God. In Psalm 35 verses 1 to 4, a great psalm of David, David cries out, God, you be my lawyer. You plead my cause. My, plead my cause, O oh Lord, with them that strive against me, fight against me. Uh, Lord, you're my lawyer. You plead my cause. Take hold the shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Lord, you're my, you're my deliverer. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to fight my own battle. I'm not going to try to do it myself. I'm going to trust you. Wow. How many people are able to do that today? 
Proverbs 24, 29 says, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to that man according to his work. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what Jesus said, to bless those that curse you, that persecute you. You see, friends, when you're involved in getting revenge, you're doing, let me repeat again, God's job, and you're not qualified to do that because you'll end up in the flesh. When you take vengeance, I don't care how justified you might think you are, you will end up in the flesh. I'm going to say that again. I don't care how, how justified you, well, you are. Well, the pastor, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she did to me, but he's been doing this. When you execute vengeance, doesn't matter how justified, doesn't matter, you will not succeed and you, because it's an act of the flesh and only God can bring proper execution not you not me vengeance blinds you vengeance distorts you that's what Absalom tried to do but David refused revenge number two then David risked reconciliation when you decide to step out and make reconciliation there is always going to be a risk no doubt about it that's why people don't do it enough there's a chance of being rejected, looked upon as weak. We don't like to confront. I, I, I you know, really, but I asked somebody to do something. No, they don't want to deal with the issues. They try to skirt, never speak the way it is. You shouldn't be doing this. Why? Here it is. No, just try to, try to skirt the issue. Don't like it. Maybe she won't like me if I tell the truth. Maybe I'll be rejected. Look how weak I am. And it could possibly indicate that I might be at fault. All carnal reasons. When Jesus said, if any man has ought against you, you leave your gift and deal with it. David decided to take a chance. People are always waiting for others to come. People are always waiting for others to make the first move. Have you ever noticed that? I'm just going to wait. Who's going to take the initiative? Oh, David. Modern day Davids take the initiative. It's cowardly not to. It, when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation, it's always your turn, my dear brother and sister. Always. Oh, yeah, but you don't, know, you don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. It's always your turn if we're going to follow the Bible and follow the teachings of Jesus it's always your turn if you have you leave your gift go but pastor if I do that then I'm but pastor if I there's no excuse Modern day Davids take initiative. They make a difference. And you can't make a difference with indifference. Oh, no. You can't make a difference with indifference. You know, people are indifferent. Well, you know, we'll see. I don't know, they wait. We, 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 are, we are proverbial. I mean, we're, we're, we're procrastinators. That's what we rather procrastinate than do something. We're always waiting for others. Always waiting. 
Oh, let him. Modern day David's take initiative. There's no indifference here. And you can't make a difference with indifference. He took initiative. The risk of two things the rebuke of his men and the ridicule of Saul. Two more R's. He took a risk. The rebuke of his men in verse 7. Verse 7 is telling us that David stayed his own men, which means David tore apart his servants with these words. In other words, David argued with his men about this situation, and David said, I love God too much. I will not violate the principle of touching the Lord's anointed. I will have honor and respect. How different from today. David had integrity. That even when Saul died, and I'll be talking about that in a few weeks, at his funeral, David wept. He was sincere. There was nothing disingenuous about David. There's another issue. David had a pure heart. He wanted to please God. So he risked taking the initiative to make it right with Saul at the rebuke of his own men despite he loved God too much here is Saul your greatest enemy and his men are right telling him listen here's your chance to kill him right in front of you David and you you've got to deal with it what kind of soldier are you David you can hear his men saying what kind of weak king you're going to make David here's your enemy and you're going to spare your enemy friends listen you are never weak when you stand upon the principles of God and so now David risks the rebuke of his own men and then the ridicule of Saul himself he didn't know how Saul was going to respond Verses 8 and 10. It's never easy, but someone has to take the first step when it comes to reconciliation. Now what I want to show you is what David did. He does three things. Watch this now. He tells Saul three things as he's risking ridicule. Modern day Davids, they risk ridicule, but modern day Davids also present the facts. In 1 Samuel 18, 18, the Bible says that David behaved wisely. This because four times we see in chapter 18 right to 24 that David behaved wisely that there was something about David and how he responded that made him different he says to Saul you're listening to the wrong people I'm not your enemy that's what the Bible says look Saul I've cut a piece of your robe you didn't know it but I did it for a reason I could have killed you Saul but I didn't kill you a life lesson life lesson are you ready you see it's so easy to cause a strain in a relationship with wrong information I know what people are telling you Saul I know what my men are telling me about you but it's not true I'm not out to kill you Saul you're listening to the wrong people you're listening to these rumors you don't have the facts look I got a piece of cloth in my hand I could have killed you but I didn't here is the facts listen don't accuse anyone without the piece of cloth in your hand Oh, didn't you do this? I thought you did. Accusers. You know how many relationships are strained because of false accusation? Because you don't have the facts? Oh, by the way, this is for free and you can, you can write this down. Rumors, all they do is create tumors. 
That's just for free. You can take it, leave it. Rumors create tumors. Present the facts. Stop accusing. You got facts? Present them. Otherwise, zoop, zip it up. We talk too much. David had the facts. He'd make a good lawyer. Lawyers, they'll tell you, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. I don't want your emotions. Just the facts. Facts. I'm not your enemy. Here's the facts. Here's the facts. Number two, David proved his faithfulness to Saul. Verse 11. David proved also his faithfulness. David said, check the bottom of your robe. It would have only taken one swipe of my sword King Saul and you would have been history but I didn't do it look Saul I've got proof in my hand do you recognize it here's your robe a piece of it I didn't kill you because I'm not your enemy I'm faithful oh there's a word that we don't hear much today I'm loyal to you Saul I've never wanted to hurt you you're my king Saul I'm loyal to you. There's a word that we don't hear much either, loyalty. That's almost become a curse word today. Loyal? What's what's loyalty? Divorce is getting, I think think it's more than 50% in some some places in, in the United States for sure. Loyalty. David's, I'm faithful, I'm loyal, I'm not your enemy. And I was thinking about loyalty for a moment and I realized another nugget found in the Bible. In Titus chapter 2, verse number 10, interesting word here that Paul gives us, verse 10, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Fidelity is a Greek word originally, but it's of the French, it's adopted to the French, fidèle. Do we have any French-speaking people? Ma'am, you speak French, right? What does fidèle mean in French? Fidèle, okay, Faithfulness, loyalty. Remember my boss one day, I was working at uh, Aux Alligons in Montreal, and I, I stuck through something, and he looked at me, I'll never forget, he said, Dino, t'es fidèle, you're loyal to this company. Fidèle, loyalty, faithfulness. Loyalty, faithfulness. David is saying, I'm fidèle, I'm loyal to you. Loyalty is a sign of greatness. Loyalty sets you apart he's loyal to a man that wants to kill him excuse me he's loyal to a man that wants to kill him excuse me madness says the natural man greatness says the spirit You know who teaches us loyalty? Our dogs. <sighs> Heard of a story of a man who lost his dog. He was a, in the army. And the dog somehow followed. Don't have all the details. They ran after the, the ambulance, whatever, the car, and he went to the hospital. And 
somehow ended up in the, I don't know how that it happened, but this dog ends up in the cemetery. And this dog is in Argentina, by the way. True story. I have the article. I'll bring it one day. This dog was able to sit at his master's gravesite every day for six years. And the people came and fed him, you know found out later that they, they couldn't understand why the people that were there and the owners of the site said that this dog was so loyal to his master that after his master's death he wouldn't leave his gravesite for six years can you imagine loyalty we, we don't have much loyalty today I understand I understand that it's hard to trust people today I know that it's hard to trust ministries. I know that too. But you see, my brothers and sisters, if there's anybody that could have said, I don't trust ministry, it was David. Here's the pastor who wants to kill him. <laughs> you know why? Because David loved God. And he wanted to do right. And he knew that God still anointed Saul, despite Saul, because he respected the office of Saul. Oh, man, there's a sermon there too. David cried at Saul's funeral. Oh, you don't want to miss that sermon. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing the greatest eulogy ever heard. Don't want to miss that one. And then number three, David pledged his friendship. Verses 12 to 14, David said, I'm not out to harm you. Notice what he says in verse 14. Here we see the humility of David. He, say, he says, after whom, you're coming after me, Saul? You want me? You're threatened by me, Saul? Me? Little David? And he says in verse 14, after whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After this dead dog? After a flea? David calls himself a dead dog, a flea. I'm no threat to you, Saul. I'm just a flea. Here is arguably the greatest man of God. Here is arguably a man who had a heart after God like no one else ever. Calls himself a flea. <laughs> Think about it. I'm no threat to you. David refused revenge and risks reconciliation then he attempts to restore the relationship verse 16 and following he takes the first step and that is a great sign of maturity verse 16 he approaches Saul he takes the first step he takes the first step modern day Davids take the first step take the first step they don't wait for others to take the step people are waiting for others you don't want to come with me okay I won't go They're taking the first step you don't want to do that okay, I won't do it you don't want to come then I won't go you don't want to come then I won't step out you see we're always waiting for others listen friends listen you've got to take the first step because many people won't take that step with you modern day Davids take a stand they take a stand. They take a stand. Who's with you or not with you is immaterial. He takes the first step. That's a sign of maturity. A sign of maturity. 
when you take the first step Saul is being confronted by the one he hates and David responds with such love and Saul begins to cry the Bible says Saul begins to cry verse 17 Saul gives a speech he's overwhelmed he sees that David is a man of integrity and in verse 17 Saul says thou art more righteous than I I see something in you it was prophetic I see something in you you are more righteous than me David I would never be able to do what you did you see you see it's not what you say it's what you do David did something that set him apart listen there are a lot of people that say a lot of things but it's what you do oh yeah I'm gonna come I'll be this I'll do that no 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 and you never do it oh I will, I will, I will. never do it oh we're great speakers oh we can say a lot of things we promise a lot of things we do Oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to no, never do it. I'm going to join up this. I'm going to never get involved. Saul saw something because he, David did something. Saul says, thou art more righteous than I. What is David doing? What's happening? Romans chapter 12, verse number 20. He's heaping hot coals of fire on his head. Can you show me that scripture? Romans chapter 12 verse 20 therefore if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirsts give him drink for in doing so thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head what that means what what does that mean that means that enemy of yours that doesn't deserve anything if you show the opposite it's like a fire burning it's oh my goodness look what he's done wow I could never do that that's what speaks that's what speaks that's what speaks so be not overcome evil but overcome evil with with David's heart with what Jesus said wow Saul says you are more righteous than I see the Greek refers to a burning shame that's what it means you become shameful so that act that that person has done you realize that you would never do it and it brings shame to you that's what it means literally in the Greek I may have shared this before years ago World War II, true story, the American army, soldiers. There was one guy who was a Christian, a strong, devout Christian, and in his barracks, they were all agnostics and they, people, atheists and secular humanists, they hated God. He was the only Christian in his barrack. And these guys would make fun of him because he was a, a Christian that people saw Christ. He wasn't a Christian on Sunday morning only. He was, he was someone who carried a, an invisible pulpit on his shoulders everywhere he went. He is what Saul saw in David. He saw something. The Spirit of God was in his life. But people hated him, like David. People will hate you because you stand for righteousness. And one day... There was a, something going on. There was an argument of sorts. And this guy who hated Christians took his boot, true story, 
and threw it at the brother right in his face and the heel cut his lip profusely. I mean, it was maybe five feet away. He threw his boot, his army boot, right, this was just before the evening, before they had to turn, and he was bleeding and he didn't even have any rags to be able to clean himself up at that point, but he, of course, eventually did. And so they eventually, nothing was reported, nothing, went to bed. The next morning, the man who threw the boot at him wakes up and by his bed he sees both boots because one was gone, right? He just threw the boot clean, polished right by his bedside. He saw his boots. And of course, he knew he threw one of them. He turned to the Christian and says, did you do that? He says, why'd you do that? because God tells me to, to love, to bless. And I, it doesn't matter what you've done to me. That man was so moved, so moved that this American soldier, as bold as they come, broke and wept in front of him. Became a Christian that day. See, this man didn't hurl javelins back at Saul. David didn't hurl his javelins back at Saul. The Bible tells me in, Rome, in Proverbs 24, 17, Rejoice not when thy enemy falls, and let not thy heart be glad when he stumbles. The truth is, when Saul knew, he knew at that moment, that David was to be the next king. The Bible tells us that. He knew it. So Saul asked David to do something. He asked for forgiveness. No, he should have. Saul should have asked for forgiveness. Right there was Saul's opportunity to repent, but he doesn't. How many times does God give us opportunities to repent, but we don't? Oh, it looked like Saul was repenting, Oh, you're more righteous than I. In fact, he was crying too. Gideon said, no, no, I don't want to be your king. I know you want me to rule over you. All an exterior veneer. But did that dissuade David? No. He still did what he did despite Saul. That's the greatness of David. Saul said to David, verse 21, swear by the Lord not to cut off my grandsons. And David said yes in verse 22. He didn't have to do it, but he did. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we see the fulfillment. David goes to Lobidar and he finds out that Saul had a grandson, Mephibosheth, who was a cripple. And David, David took him and brought him into the palace. He kept his word. He didn't cut off his grandsons when he Wow, David kept his word. David kept his word. Modern day Davids keep their word. Oh, I'm going to do it. Never do it. Oh, next week, I, no, no, never do it. I'm coming up, never do it. David kept his word. He didn't have to. 
kept his word to a man that wanted to kill him, what would you do? Kept his word. Wow. No wonder David is called a man after God's heart. Don't promise things that you can't keep. Don't say things you don't mean. David kept his word. I got to close. But watch this, my friends. Did Saul change? Oh, I got, I got, I got, I got a word for somebody. Did, did, did Saul change because David kept his word? Did Saul change because David was righteous more than he? Did, did, did Saul change because David didn't throw his javelins? Did Saul change because David showed him love and mercy? No! In fact, he got worse. Saul got worse. But David still did what was right. Oh, there's life lessons everywhere here. You see, friends, regardless of what Saul did, modern day Davids do what's right. Not to impress people, but because they love God. They do it to please God. And that's why Paul said, I didn't come to you to, as man pleaser. I came to you as a, as a God pleaser. I didn't come to flatter you. You see, modern day Davids do things to please God. Modern day Davids do things to please God. Modern, and despite what people do. You see, here's the life lesson. Listen, listen, listen. You don't have to be a certain way because others are like that. You don't have to be a certain way. Well, pastor, you don't know my husband's like this, so you know. Or, or my wife, you know, sometimes you find people becoming like the person that you're with. You don't have to. You know, we make excuses. Well, you know my boss, and I'm like this, and you're friends. And we become whom are, you know, we hang around. We don't need to be that way. We, we don't, you know, I see kids all the time succumbing to peer pressure. Well, you know, all the kids do it. You know, everybody does it. And listen, friends, it doesn't matter if everybody does it. You can still take a stand. David took a stand. Took a stand. Oh, but you know, my, 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 excuse, excuse, excuses. We're filled with excuses. Modern day Davids don't make excuses. Took a stand. Saul didn't change, okay. Oh, what's the use? She's not going to change. He's not going to change, so I won't do it. Do it anyway. Please God, not man. David still did it. David's not responsible for Saul's actions. He's responsible for his own actions. He's responsible for his own attitude. You see, friends, David was able to forgive because he loved God. That's why the Bible says the light of David never extinguished throughout all the kingdom and the kingdoms ahead of him. It's always the line of David. Why, David? Why? Here's why. David had a lot of mistakes and made a lot of But the greatness of David was so great that it, his life has touched myriads of people even to this day. He did what was right 
He was able to forgive. He was an example. And what did I say earlier? You can't make a difference with indifference. David was a man of conviction. And friends, my wife gave me this and I'm going to share it. You see, friends, and I close with, with this incredible statement before I share one new story. The true test of Christianity. You know what the true test of Christianity is? Well, stay with me. We're going really deeper. We're going deeper. The true test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. That's a given. You got, yeah, yeah. If you're a Christian, you love Jesus. I mean, if you're a true Christian. Is that not true? Carlton, if you love Jesus, you're a Christian, right? Am I right, Dino? I mean, you can't be a Christian if you don't love Jesus. A true Christian. The true test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. Oh, it just kind of... The, the, the test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. That's a given. It's loving Judas. Anybody can love Jesus. If you know him, you love him. It's, you love Jesus. For God so loved you. When you understand what God's done in your life, you cannot help but love Jesus. Loved, of course you love Jesus, but can you love Judas? David loved Judas. He loved Judas. He loved Saul. He was a reprobate. Saul was a nasty human being. Nasty. He loved him anyway. Did Saul change? No. Saul didn't change. I know women that come tell me years ago more so than now. Oh, pastor, my husband doesn't change and he's still the same. And he, I don't know. And I know I feel your pain. Trust me. Never take that under. It must be very difficult to live with a tyrant. I know that. I understand that. How many women marry their husbands because they think they're going to change him? They don't change him. If I tell you how many marriages I've done and I've counseled women, oh, pastor, is he a Christian? Well, you know, he's, he said he's going to follow the Lord. He wants to, yeah, yeah, they get married. They don't, he doesn't follow the Lord. No, 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 no. But she loves him anyway. Does what's right anyway. That's the test of Christianity. Not loving someone who loves you back, but can you love someone who wants to throw a javelin at you? That's a... Let me close. True story, 1996, I believe it was in the... Was it the Barcelona Olympics? Oh. I find I'm losing my memory. I don't know what's wrong with me here, but yeah, it was either the Barcelona Olympics or the Atlanta Olympics. I'm not sure, but there was uh, the paraplegic Olympics, and there was a little girl. Well, became a woman later. Her name was Lucy. Lucy was a paraplegic, and she participated in the paraplegic Olympic Games either in Barcelona or Atlanta. I'm not sure, but it's a true story. And she's a Christian. 
Oh, a strong Christian. Very strong. Again, like the man in the barracks of the American army, everybody made fun of her. Have you ever had people make fun of you? Not because you don't look right, or you got, maybe you got curly hair or straight hair, or because you got a big nose or a small nose. No, no. Has anybody made fun of you because you are a Christian? Just wait a minute before you say yes. I mean a true Christian. Not because you say it. Has anybody ever made fun of you because you trust in God, you believe in God? This girl was being mocked by her family and all those participants with her, her fellow runners. She was ridiculed, especially by one we'll call Nancy. Nancy hated her, would make fun of her all the time when she would pray, when she would, before she would eat, because in the paraplegic games, you get together in a community, an Olympic village. And so they'd be in the Olympic Village and they would eat together. And so, and so they would see how she ate, what she did. And Lucy always prayed. She went to church. And people made fun of her. Especially Nancy. Well, time for the event. I believe it was the 1500 meters. I'm not sure what race it was. But it was more, than, it was, it was more of a long distance race. And so there is Lucy... And there's Nancy and the rest of them. And she's off. And, Lu and Lucy was doing very well. In fact, Lucy was winning the entire race. Going to win the race. There was just a few meters left. Lucy turns back and sees that Nancy fell. Nancy fell. Her enemy, her soul. Lucy could have, okay, well, good, good for her. And she could have kept running and finished. She would have won. She stops. She turns back and goes towards Nancy. Says, hey, Nancy, are you okay? <laughs> Bleeding. She tripped. Picks her up. Takes her on her shoulder, kind of, and, and they, they stumble together to the finish line. Everybody passes her. And she ends up in last place with Nancy. She lost the race. But she won a friend. When your foe becomes your friend. This is what modern day Davids do. They bless their enemies and they never change when God gives them success because they give them all the credit. David said, I come to you, Goliath, not in my name, but in the name of the Lord my God. David knew who was his strength. Do you? Let's all stand together, please.